and looks like we're rolling. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for joining me again for another episode of Real Live Talk. Thank you so much for taking the time to check out this episode, whether you're watching live or listening on one of the podcast platforms later. Hope everybody had an awesome Christmas weekend. And uh, just thank you so much for taking the time to check out this episode. I hope that it blesses you. If it adds any value to your life, if you'd consider subscribing, sharing, or leaving a review, really, really appreciate it. I'm uh, really excited today to have as my guest, Peter Warren, who is an international leader with Youth for a Mission, also known as, excuse me, Youth with a Mission, also known as YWAM. He and his wife, Linda, pioneered the YWAM Denver campus and have served there since 1984. He's ministered in over 100 countries and serves currently as the regional facilitator for YWAM uh, in Western U in the Western United States and Canada. Peter, thank you so much. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege to, first of all, to meet you and to have you here on the show with me. So thanks so much for doing this. Yes, thank you, Duke. It's good to meet you and appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. Yeah, and thanks for hanging with me through the uh, technical issues we had at the top of the show here. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> yeah. Well, so 100 countries. Um, that's crazy. So how much of your life, and you could answer this pre-COVID, <laughs> uh, how much of your life is spent traveling? Uh, about a third of the time. Um, I try really? to keep it to that. Uh, when our children were little, uh, I was gone for a little over two weeks and my wife said, honey, I, I can't do this. So we decided even if we had to pay extra, we would, I would only be gone for a week, maybe adding a weekend on either end, but then coming home. So uh, I've kept it uh, to that for many years. So even if I go to Africa or Asia somewhere, Australia, where I'm from, so I, I normally go to Australia once or twice a year uh then i i'll just fly back so yeah about a third of the time has that gotten back to normal at all since since the lockdowns and since covid and now we can travel again has has it kind of started to normalize or are you still pretty much grounded a lot more <laughs> it, well no i'm still traveling but primarily within the united states so i've canceled uh seven international trips overseas i haven't traveled out of the US. The last time was to New Zealand in 2019, October 2019. So, uh, and now things, uh, I'm scheduled to go to Switzerland in May uh, and France, but uh, that's sort of iffy now as well because of the, the new restrictions. So we'll mm. see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Have you been to Australia since like in the past 18 months, let's say? No, no, I haven't because I, as an Australian citizen, so I'm a dual citizen now. Okay. For many years, I had a green card. And then after a while, thought, you know what, this is too goofy. I'm just going to become an American citizen as well. I feel like I'm half American anyway. <laughs> uh, and But still hold my Australian citizenship. So I could go back. I would have had to have paid $5,000, uh, which would... Uh, cover hotel for a quarantine for two weeks and all the food. And then if I tested negative, could get out. Uh, so uh, I didn't want to do that. Uh, now I think I would have to quarantine for a week. Mm. Uh, to be honest with you, it's been somewhat surprising to me how much uh, just the, the reaction of Australia and New Zealand to this, I never would have thought, because we're pretty 
low key, yeah. easy going. It's like a I party mean, Australia. Time, right? <laughs> Australia's like you know someone dragged England through California. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> but but it's been uh, yeah the lockdown has been more severe definitely than most of the rest of the world. Uh, so I'm just biding my time. I'd like to go back this next year, hopefully. Yeah. Well, that was the reason for my question. I was wondering if it really is as intense as what I've heard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. And, you know, they tried to lock Australia down and New Zealand because they're islands, uh, mm -hmm. lock it down to the, or lock out the rest of the world. Uh, hoping that it would blow over and Australia would be spared, New Zealand would be spared. And, and now it's, you know, because of these new variants that are so contagious, it's got in. Mm -hmm. So they still haven't had the death rate that we've had here and in some other places. Uh, maybe because the population is younger too. I, like in Europe, for example, mm -hmm. Italy was the worst hit, but it's because their population is a lot older, which probably wow. explains that. Uh, so not as many deaths, but yeah, this, uh, and Australia's locked down even between the different States. Uh, so, wow. you know, you can't travel to Victoria or Western Australia or Queensland. Uh, so anyway, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully yeah. this is all coming to an end. <sighs> right. Man, it's been going on a long time. Yeah, I know. Two two weeks to flatten the curve. <laughs> 18, <laughs> I remember months, that. 20, 20 months ago, something like that. Yeah, man. Um, well, so you are obviously you're from Australia originally. I know um, we read in your bio just a moment ago that you and your wife uh, basically founded, pioneered the, the YWAM campus in Denver. Were you already in the U.S. when you started that project? Uh, w at what point did you move to the United States? Yeah, so I uh, came into YWAM in Australia, came over to Southern California to finish some of my studies, met Linda, and that's where we fell in love, uh, got married, had our first child, our son, Steve, uh, and then felt like the Lord wanted us to, well, it's interesting how the Lord leads, you know, we, we thought we would probably going to go somewhere where there was very little mention of the name of Jesus because we mm. we'd been living on the US Center for World Missions just to kind of give context uh, a man by the name of Dr. Ralph Winter Ralph and Frieda Winter started something in Pasadena called the US Center for World Missions and there were like 75 different missions organizations and YWAM was one of those and during that time Ralph Winter came out with this statement that kind of rocked the mission world, which was, uh, there are in the world unreached people groups. Well, what's mm -hmm. that? No one had ever used that term before. What's an unreached people group? Well, it's, it's a grouping of people, an ethnos, the word for nations in the New Testament is ethnos, which is a nation defined by language and culture, not by uh, geography and politics, geography, not a yeah. geopolitical, but a, a ethno-linguistic mm. nation. And he said there are over 16,000 of these nations that are unreached. So they're within a larger nation like Brazil, but it's a little group up in the Amazon that has their own language and 
it's undiscovered or maybe they know about it, but the gospel has not reached them. So we thought the Lord was leading us. When the Lord began to speak to us, it was time to leave Los Angeles. We thought, okay, God's going to lead us to one of these groups. So it was surprising when the Lord said to us, uh, Denver, we, we felt just the impression, Denver, Colorado, and why? Uh, but you know, God doesn't always make a lot of sense. Uh, he just wants you to obey him. So when we came out here, then the penny dropped, that the understanding came that we were to be a bridge to the nations. We were to uh, make it easier for others to go to unreached areas of the world. Because, mm. uh, you know, a burden and a calling are two different things. Just because you have a passion or a burden for something doesn't mean God's called you to do it. Some burdens are for intercession only. Some are vicarious wow. so that you can invest in others. So they, you know, cast the vision, God said to Habakkuk, and that others would run with it. So that that's kind of how we ended up in Denver. That's really good. Um, so are you saying that when you say you went through uh, YWAM in Australia, did are you saying you went into the program like as a student initially? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the entry program into YWAM is called the Discipleship Training School. And it is transformational because it's you come and live for three months in a community like the New Testament church uh, yeah. where you're eating meals together, you're living sleeping in dorms usually as a single person at least and 24 7 you're with these other believers who have a passion for god and it's uh, or put it this way if if you if you went to your home church to sunday school sunday morning service sunday night and then wednesday night it would take about four and a half years to get the same investment you're getting in those five months the last wow. two months are an outreach overseas. And so my outreach, my DTS was in, DTS Discipleship Training School was in Canberra, Australia. Uh, the outreach uh, was to Argentina. And wow. that's how I ended up in the Western Hemisphere. And hmm. then, you know, the travel agent in Australia messed up my ticket. My ticket was going up, ending in Canada. Uh, and then I looked at the dates and I, I had to leave early ended up in New Jersey, uh, long story short, uh, ended up in California, then doing a secondary program, which was a school of evangelism. And uh, right after that, met Linda, uh, joined the staff in LA, and then that kind of links into the living in Pasadena there with the yeah. US Center for World Missions. Then we were leading the training school, the discipleship training school, until God led us to Denver. Wow. And so YWAM, I, keep, I don't know why I keep saying it wrong. YWAM as a program actually began in, was it 1960? Yeah. That, yeah, that yeah. That was the first training school. So okay. Lauren Cunningham was a youth mm -hmm. pastor, uh, was on an outreach in the Bahamas and had this vivid vision uh, it wasn't a dream, but he had this vision of waves crashing against the continents of the world. And then as he looked, each wave went further than the wave that preceded it. And the waves were then changing into young people and they were going into every nation preaching the gospel. Wow. Uh, that was in 1957. Uh, he then started this 
outreach with Youth with a Mission, where he would take young people. But he soon realized these young people, uh, although they had many conversions, they were shallow conversions because you can only make God known as much as you know him. And so mm-hmm. he and his wife, Darlene, quickly realized we need to have some an in-depth knowledge of who God is, his character, his nature, his ways. And so they started this discipleship training school. Well, it was called by a different name to begin with. And and the YWAM's motto, I know there are some others that have used that this motto since, but YWAM coined this motto to know God and make him known. You can only make yeah. him known as much as you know him. So 1969, actually. So YWAM started in 1960. 69 in Lausanne, Switzerland was the first YWAM training school and it's grown exponentially now where there were there are about 750 around the world really? in about 2000 2000 locations but about a third of those have training skills wow so how many countries is YWAM in oh I don't know. <laughs> it keeps changing. And then we're supposed to report these things, but the Brazilians never report anything. And, <laughs> and then we, even in my region, right? So I'm the facilitator for YWAM in, mm-hmm. in the Western US and Canada. Well, I discovered a couple of YWAM bases uh, in really? California I didn't know about. Um, because YWAM is, is very granular organic a very you know go for it so mm-hmm. because we're youth now not all of us are youth any longer but we'd rather i think, think you're grandfathered in i think you're grandfathered <laughs> yes. in. <laughs> yeah yeah young at heart i'm one of the oldest yeah, living teenagers <laughs> so so uh but you make a lot of mistakes but you know what growth mm-hmm. is that way and it's messy and but you know what if you look at the history of revival it's messy too oh. uh, and so it, we'd rather see people go out, make some mistakes, not big mistakes, hopefully, but 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 be passionate about God and do great things, attempt great things for God, rather than requiring all this training and then limiting what people can do. So as a result, uh, you know, people criticize YWAM for being well, you're doing this with all these young people and they're making mistakes. But from the very beginning, the vision Lauren Cunningham had uh, was, was to do this. To, and nobody else had at that time, uh, if you were going to be a missionary, you had to go through seminary, you had to go through all this mm-hmm. training. And God gave him this vision of young people going into every nation. And wow. he went to the head of their denomination, which was the Assemblies of God, uh, and they've said, no, no, you can't do it within the assemblies. He wanted to keep it within that denomination. Mm-hmm. And they said no, and it really broke his heart. But it was part of God's strategy then for YWAM to be interdenominational. And uh, Lauren and Darlene are in their 80s. They are still, that's their passion champion mm. young people we champion young people is one of our values uh as a mission that's so awesome that's so cool are do you have any 
idea like any kind of an estimation of like how many young people have actually gone through the program since its inception yeah it's it well if you're talking about the discipleship training school i'm not sure mm -hmm. but if you add the different outreaches and seminars and and the different training uh platforms that we have uh, that are not necessarily just the five month long school. It's about 5 million, somewhere between five and 6 million. Uh, <laughs> 6 million. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. And most of those people are not in YOM have not even stayed in missions, but you know, going through the, the this in-depth training, it ruins you for the ordinary. And these people have gone back to their hometown and have become better uh, husbands and wives and parents yeah. because of that investment in their lives. So I think that for Lauren and Darlene Cunningham, that's part of their legacy is even though now some of those people have stayed in missions long-term, my wife and I have for over 40 years, mm -hmm. uh, have, have our missionary trainers and continue to go, but uh, the vast majority don't stay involved, but it just launches them into uh, an in-depth, relationship with God that lasts them a lifetime. Yeah. Well, I would imagine that it's the kind of program that a lot of young people probably go to just for the sake of getting clarity or even for the sake of, uh, tell me if this is true or not. Do a lot of people, a lot of young people come into the program for the sake of getting their life together? You know, of like they've gone through something, maybe they're struggling with some kind of, you know, maybe it's an addiction or some some sort of an issue in their life. Is it is it the kind of thing that a lot of people show up to for the sake of just sort of they want to set aside some specific time to maybe either get free from certain things or just to establish a solid foundation in their life? Yeah, exactly. Uh, although the the ideal candidate uh -huh. <laughs> is is someone who who doesn't have a lot of baggage but mm -hmm. in the discipleship training school god deals with a lot of that mm. uh but and so yes a lot of them come but it's not like a teen challenge or a some program that's a rehabilitation program the the purpose is to 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 come in and then have this launch pad that sends mm. you forth uh, and because if you if you're still doing a lot of this internally, you can't do that very well. True. And so it takes a lot longer. And I would say that's more the the role of the local church, uh, where uh, you know there's a lot of that dealing with some of these habit patterns and other things. But of course, we all have some degree of baggage. Mm -hmm. uh, but that that's who it was designed for. Uh, and not just young people anymore, but people that have a hunger to serve God. And this becomes this launch pad that shoots them out. Yeah. But yeah, we, we have in today's world, a lot of unchurched kids. I remember one, one kid on the front row in one of the lectures, the first week put up his hand and said, who was Abraham? You know, he didn't know who mm -hmm. Abraham was. So he, he'd come got saved on the street somewhere back in Ohio or, or someplace and, and really mm -hmm. was unchurched and did not even know who Abraham was. So yeah, uh, we will take pretty much anyone unless they've got some really deep mm -hmm. stuff that really requires a little bit more time.
Yeah. Well, it's, you know, whenever you, whenever you step outside of your normal life and the normal flow of life and your comfort zone. And so you're coming into a program where, you know, for months, for a few months, we are, we're living, we're living in a community. As you said, you related it to the Bible, to the book of Acts, to the early church, you know, sort of like living in this communal setting and just like this intense time of, of receiving all of this instruction and teaching and training you know, it's such an awesome atmosphere for just hearing from the Lord and getting clarity. And I would imagine that there are some that come in that maybe have this idea of, um, you know, maybe similar to like what you had. You know, you had this idea like God was calling you and you you figured, well, God's calling me into missions. So he's going to call me to go to an unreached part of the world or something like that. Uh, but then what his actual idea for you and for Linda was you know, a little bit different than what you would have, you know, just prescribed for yourselves. And, uh, you know, I just imagine that being in that kind of an atmosphere, it's pr probably pretty similar. Like when I went to, um, I went to Elam Bible Institute in college and uh, I signed up. So they had the program, the, where you could sign up, you can sign up for the, the full program or you could sign up for, they called it the year in the sun and uh, is basically just a year, but they, they were wise enough to know that often that first year would turn into more than one year. So they organized it so that that first year was very, very similar to somebody who was there for the full programs so that you could very easily switch. And so that's what I did. I, I didn't know what I was doing. Like I knew, I knew all my life that God had called me. Uh, I knew, all, I knew that I was supposed to be in ministry. I knew all that, but I had some weird ideas in my head too. And so I was like, all right, God, I know you want me to go to Elam. Like I went to visit and God spoke to me very clearly. I knew I was supposed to go there, but I was like, I'm only going to give you a year because I don't want to do this. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so after I was there for a year, it, it ended up switching and and uh, I knew that God was calling me to stay longer. And so I went through the entire program. But that year of just, you know, there's just something about saying, it's it's kind of like fasting, right? Like it's kind. there's just something about, saying, I'm going to set aside some time where it's about you. I'm going to seek your face. Um, I'm going to I'm going to go after you. I'm going to get trained. I'm going to get taught. I'm going to, you know, just kind of get outside of my the normalcy of my life and my comfort zone. That's really, really powerful. Right. Oh, yes, it is, because it takes. They tell us it takes about three months to change a habit pattern. Mm, yeah. And so if you want to actually you've got a bad habit pattern in your life uh, that actually maybe has become part of your character. Uh, it's going to take some discipline and choices. And it, for most of us, it helps to have some other people with us who are on the same track, helping us, standing with us. And after about 12 to 15 weeks, somewhere in there, we're really able to replace that with a godly, godly habit patterns mm. uh, in our lives of, you know, walking with him and having a quiet time and, and, and avoiding doing certain things uh, or saying certain things. And, and so, yeah, it does take uh, time, but that immersion that you described, and I love Elam. One of my best friends is, uh, it was an Elam pastor in New York uh, for 20 years. And we, in fact, he, awesome. he came and did our first discipleship training school in Denver in really? 85. Cool. Uh, yeah. Jack and Sandy Hemfling. And awesome. uh, yeah, they passed it in New York, but uh, yeah, Elam has a lot of similarities, I think, to, to YWAM. 
uh, and from from what I can see and people that I've met, some of the Elamites. I don't know what you call yeah. you yourselves. We 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 call ourselves. <laughs> That's what it was when I was there. Really, an the Elamites. Yeah, we were Elamites when I was there. I'm not sure if they still <laughs> if they still subscribe to that or not, but yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's something about that immersion that in, in with with others, like you said, the Book of Acts. That is transformational. Mm. Uh, and you know, Jesus didn't come just to save us. He came to transform us. And, and but we need many times more than just. Uh, you know, there are some exceptional people who have the ability on their own to make decisions and change ungodly habit patterns and establish new ones uh, just through their the, the sheer force of their will. But most of us, mm. we need others that we can bounce things off and that we can, uh, with whom we can make ourselves accountable. And and I, I need that still. I, I, a friend of mine, uh, yeah. a, uh, I, maybe I can, I don't know if I've got a couple of minutes I can share this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. With you, incredible thing here in the last couple of years. So one of my best friends pastors a church in Huntington Beach, California, mm. Uh, mm -hmm. Bill Welsh. Bill Welsh uh, is the pastor of, of the Refuge Calvary Chapel in Huntington Beach, Surf City, USA. And oh, yeah. uh, I was speaking at his church uh, and uh, he has... Saturday night service and three Sunday morning services, but Saturday afternoon we went for a walk on the beach and just began to open up as brothers in the Lord about stuff we were going through. Mm. And, uh, you know, he told me later, you know, I just felt like I was taking a risk of being able to even share some of these things. And it just blessed me that you, you know, you were not judgmental, but you, we prayed for each other and cause we all have faced temptations in life and, uh, and, and the next, that evening in church, he introduced me as, this is my storm brother, uh, <laughs> Peter. And, uh, and I, so I asked him, what, you know, storm brother, what is that? And he, he played me this little tape from uh, Garrison Keeler, uh, Prairie Home Companion. I don't know if you've ever heard of those, but it was a radio program. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and he talks about news from Lake Wobegon and these kids in, the country in Minnesota who uh, would be bussed into the school, the, the principal assigned to each one of them a storm home in case there was a blizzard and they couldn't bust them back out to their houses. They could go and stay with their storm family. Gotcha. And, he, and he says, well, I actually, there were no blizzards that year or the next year. They were all convenient blizzards, night blizzards, weekend blizzards. Uh, but, uh, he his house was called I think they were called the uh, Krugers okay and and this family this kindly old couple lived there and he never went to stay with them but just knowing they were there as his storm family gave him such comfort and security yeah. and, and Bill said and that we all need storm brothers and so he and I started this uh, this gathering where we mainly we it's by invitation where we invite senior pastors and ministries of ministry leaders to come away for three days and we call them storm brothers retreats mm -hmm. and where we just open up uh and go okay what's the battle you're fighting right now personally in your personal life and what's god speaking to you in that battle and, and what are you going to do about it and it's it's become so powerful so we've 
schedule these bill and i do uh where we invite guys and and it just struck a chord with so many of these leaders because it all happened about the time where some some significant ministry leaders uh, in the u.s had fallen and always it came wow. to light they'd been involved in areas of of sin and uh you know like king david none of us can say oh i'm i'm beyond that that's not going to happen to me and so oh, yeah. this has become so powerful in our lives to have these storm brothers retreat so really mm. i say that to to emphasize that we all we all need others in our lives that can help us and that we can walk with and so that's that's what the dts the discipleship training school does that and what you described as as your year in the sun i think that accomplished that and here you are serving the lord today and some of it's probably because of that oh absolutely <laughs> absolutely you know there's something that's just so so profound and so important about those relationships you know those close relationships that you have with people who you know people who you're kind of like i don't know walking through the fire with even sometimes yeah. you know you're walking through difficult seasons of life or challenging seasons or you know and you when you have people that god brings into your life that you can walk through those times with and the good times as well you know but when we walk through life with people and learn how to do life with people i just think that we're made for that we're built for that we're designed for that you know like if, if i've got circumstances in my life that for one reason or another are preventing me from really you know having close fellowship with somebody like, i can't even think of what that might be but like if, if there's something in my life that's preventing me from having fellowship with brothers and sisters in christ God's so good that he's able to fill those gaps. You know, he's the he's our ultimate source and he provides everything that we need. We can be fully complete in him. But I don't think that that's his ultimate goal for us. I don't think that that's his desire for us. I think that his desire is for us to be in community and for us to have people around us that are, you know, somewhat like-minded and that we're going after the same things that we can build each other up and recognize that yes. when we do have struggles and you know that we can share our faults with and we can share you know things with things that are heavy on our hearts and things like that because when we keep those things bottled up then i think like you said you mentioned some leaders that had fallen and some different things like i think that that is the the end result of not having people that you are able to walk through life with you know yes oh with. absolutely and, and you know one yeah. of my heroes Duke is uh, Billy Graham or, you know, mm -hmm. the late Billy Graham. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, started, he preached his first sermon in Florida, I think at age 19, and then his ministry took off. But he realized early on he needed to uh, make sure he had these standards and he, he had people around him. Even when he began to travel, uh, he then had people, uh, a friend who would go into a hotel room ahead of time uh -huh. and just to make sure nobody was waiting in there or just it went to almost it seemed uh to an extreme uh mm -hmm. and, but his way of operating became known as the billy graham standard and uh and other pastors began to emulate that then the billy graham standard of having such a high integrity level that uh because you know we we need that we need to have 
those standards and then others that we can share our hearts with and we know uh, they're going to be there for us who are going to speak the truth but in love. It's got to be, you know, truth mm-hmm. without love is harsh. Uh, but love without truth can lead to compromise. And so you Absolutely. have to, you know, like the Apostle Paul said, speaking the truth in love. And then he, he went on to say that that leads to growth in a person's life. Uh, so, yeah, we do need those those storm brothers and sisters who will speak the truth and love to us, uh, which is community. That's the early church, right? Mm. And I think yeah. what's worked against us is our affluence more than anything else. Uh, we have our affluence has allowed us, especially in Western nations, to be independent. And we, we even look at independence as a value when really it's a type of sin. <laughs> we need to we need to be dependent on others. Yeah, I know yes. there are there's yeah. aspects of independence and freedom that are important, but uh, our affluence has allowed us to live in our own houses, and we don't even barely have to talk to our neighbors, and we can uh, we don't have to depend on others. Uh, the early church was under persecution, and that was part of the reason that they they had community and they would meet together from house to wow. house, uh, and you know maybe. Maybe one day when they say you can't buy or sell anymore without this mark, we, you know, we don't have to buy or sell. We can give and receive. We're going to have to change the way we operate when things are taken away from us, potentially. But, you know, it might be a good thing for us spirit- spiritually in the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, a, lo- a lot of people look at uh, when you when you read the book of Revelation and, and you and you read about those things happening. Uh, you know, I think the traditional view is to look at that as something that's scary, that nobody wants to be here for and, and all of that. But if you if you pay attention, I believe that that's the most glorious time of the church uh, in, in history um, that, yes. you know, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of this. I mean, we see what happened in the book of Acts when they came under persecution, how the gospel spread throughout the entire world in the midst of that that happened. And. Yeah, I do think that um, we're we're very we're very soft. Uh, <laughs> we're very soft in this country, uh, in particular. And I'm not saying I, that I'm in, that I'm that I'm uh, gung ho about having persecution come no. our way. I'm just no. I'm just saying no. that 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 in the midst of it, you know, if if that if that does happen at some point, I'm sure it will happen. If that does happen, then it's um, you know again, it's it's a time for the church you know the the darker the background the more opportunity that the church has to to really shine forth the love and the yes. goodness of of who god really is i think that we had an opportunity as the church even in this past couple of years that we've had through just the darkness that's been surrounding our world through lockdowns through covid through so many you know deaths happening due to the pandemic and in this country due to a lot of the the violence and the racial tension and and different things that happened, I think we had a really great opportunity as the people of God to really uh, stand up and declare who God is and to show the world what love really is in the midst of it. I think that by and large, we probably didn't do a great job with it. Um, A lot of people did. A lot of churches did. Um, I don't know about overall. I know that there was a lot of division within the church when there should not have been. Um, but I, but there is something about 
difficult circumstances that just I don't know. There's something about the positioning of God within his people, within those circumstances. I think what it is, I think it's hope. You know, I think when we hold on to hope, when we hold on to who God is and we don't get rocked and shaken by the circumstances of life, but we allow our lives to be anchored in the reality of who God is, how faithful he is, how powerful he is, how loving he is in the midst of it, that we do have such an opportunity to to demonstrate that and show him yeah. to the world, you know? Yeah. And I think the, the highest is that we wouldn't have to be forced into it through persecution or difficulty, <laughs> but, but by yeah. choosing it, by saying, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to choose to do this, to, to reach out to others, to, to, mm -hmm. to be, uh, Jesus in, in, in this body, in the way I speak and act and everything else. I, you know, that's the highest. Uh, but, yeah, sometimes being spiritually lazy, we tend to uh, kind of, sometimes we need something imposed on us, and it's not always a bad thing when you look at the history of the church. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Peter, what about you? Did you did you grow up in a Christian home, or how, how did you come to know the Lord? Yeah, I did. My parents were, my dad was a pastor in Australia. Awesome. Uh, my mom was a, a nurse uh, and she went as a single woman to the mission field in uh, northern Australia with the Aborigines, a place called Owen Pelly uh, on the, I think it was the East Alligator River uh, mm. in the Northern Territory. My dad uh, then in Bible school uh, began to have a passion for missions as well. And he thought he was going to be going to Tanganyika, which is modern-day Tanzania, Malawi, and mm. uh, Southeast Africa. My mom was headed to uh, India, and when they fell in love, they went to the mission board, and the mission board sent them to an island in the Gulf of Carpentaria, which is, uh, well, there's a big gulf at the top end of Australia called okay. the Gulf of Carpentaria, and there's a big island there called Groot Island, which is Dutch for big island, Groot, I think it is in Dutch, because the Dutch actually uh -huh. discovered Australia. They just didn't claim it. And, and then Captain Cook did for, for the uh, British crown. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah. so you got a lot of Dutch, like T Tasmania, you know, it was Abel Tasman, who was another Dutch explorer. But anyway, so uh, my parents then went to this island in the Gulf of Carpentaria, Groot Island, uh, my dad was the chaplain and my mum was the nurse in Anyangula on the island. That's where I was born uh, with the uh, Australian Aborigines. Uh, then we later on moved back to Sydney. My dad pastored for a while and then we went to South America. And so I actually lived uh, for most of my teenage years in South America. Really? Uh, yep. Uh, Paraguay and Argentina and then hmm. uh, there was a lot of civil unrest and uh, well I don't need to go into a whole lot of detail but the former president came back out of exile his name was Juan Perón you've probably heard of Evita that was his first wife mm -hmm. Eva Perón and there was just a, just a lot of military conflict and people were being killed and so we hmm. we moved back to Australia uh, I, I 
gave my life to the Lord. Apparently, I barely remembered it. Uh, my mum <laughs> led me to the Lord when I was seven. Uh, but then uh, I, I kind of fell away from the Lord uh, after we went back to Australia. Uh, got involved in pornography, got involved in drugs, and and it was the tail end of the hippie movement. And I took off hitchhiking around the world. Uh, of course, you can't hitchhike out of Australia, so I had to get on a ship to Panama, hitchhike through South wow. America, uh, headed off to Europe uh, to hike the hippie trail uh, that went from Amsterdam to Nepal and Afghanistan and India. Wow. and I uh, was going to meet up with my friends in Greece and was put in jail uh, and sent back to Australia. Uh, wow. And uh, But it was in the hand of the Lord. My mum had been praying for me. I was really ticked off. You know, they interrupted my plans. But when I got <laughs> back to Australia, uh, my dad gave me this brochure of this one-week outreach with YWAM in Canberra, and I said, well, what the heck, I don't have anything else to do right now. And I went, and my life was so radically changed that one week. Wow. I recommitted my life to Christ, was baptized, baptized again, because, you know, my dad was an Anglican minister, so I'd been baptized as an infant, but got rebaptized mm. and came right into the discipleship training school right after that. Uh, so I'm really grateful God changed the direction of my life. Yeah. You know, I could have persisted in my rebellion against God, mm -hmm. but you know the scripture that said that God says that God works all things uh, toward the the counsel of His will. The word "works" there it, it it makes it think seem like God is the one who is orchestrating everything. But the word in Greek is "energio" for "works," which means we get the word "energize" from that. So He doesn't mm -hmm. make us come back to him but he makes it a lot easier by energizing sort of good. pushing us in a direction and i think prayer has a huge part of that my mom and dad were praying for me every day especially my mother and god just interrupted my wayward journey as a prodigal mm. and got me sent back to australia put in jail sent back to australia and that changed everything <laughs> It's, you know, it's really interesting to me is how you went all around the world, basically in rebellion, like before you, I don't know if maybe you knew, maybe you had an, an idea, uh, you know, some kind of an awareness that God had called you to a life of, of missions and ministry. But it's interesting to me that you went all the way sort of around the world, just kind of on your own, in your own strength, doing your own thing. And then uh, I'm just wondering, did that... Do you think that God used that um, to uh, on any level to sort of put missions in your heart? Or I mean, is that something that was already in your heart before all that? Or do you think that, you know, that time of just kind of, you know, how, how God will take even our yeah. own mess ups and mistakes and bad moves and stuff like that. And he'll use them and repurpose them because he's just good at that kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, think that played a role. I don't know. Uh, I think, you know, from. From early on, we we traveled around the world, and uh, you know when we went to South America, I was seven, and we went on a ship 
around the bottom of Australia, up through Sri Lanka, it was called Ceylon then, and India, and mm. up through the Suez Canal. That was before it was bombed in 1964, where, you know, it was cut off and up through Europe and then down through Africa to South America. And, and then we would go back to Australia every three or four years on furlough, flying sometimes on a ship as well, but sometimes flying across the Pacific, Easter Island, you know, Tahiti, I mean, all these exotic places, but um, just, I became very comfortable with the nations and people Mm. that were, uh, spoke different languages and never, never felt really endangered or, there is a lot of fear, I think, that the media projects about going to some of these places but sure. uh you know i have a, a relative that's that's in the armed forces and he uh he was saying actually it's more dangerous to live in washington dc than in iraq yeah uh, this was a few years ago <laughs> and so Man. uh you know places are not as dangerous as we would think and people are even in nations that are maybe anti the west think of uh, some islamic nations but the people are the friendliest nicest uh, they don't know jesus many times but they are mm. culturally they are friendly and it, it, anyway yeah. it just gave me a maybe god was setting it up duke but i just became very comfortable being out there yeah. traveling from one nation to another and it's in my blood and it still is. And, you know, I haven't been out of America in two years. Uh, so it's killing me in that sense. But You're itching, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm itching to go out. But I mean, I've been to Africa over 30 times. And Africa is mm. like a, a different, if you've never been to Africa, it is like a different planet. Everything is different. Uh, and and India and some of these places. And it, it's actually really exciting to to immerse yourself in these different cultures and learn yeah. some of the uh the cultural mindset and values they have and taste some of the food and uh it really is incredible so maybe yeah god was preparing it but i i love what i get to do now which is to train people to go but then to be able to go myself for sure yeah. uh, modern missions awesome. is i mean if you think about this okay mm-hmm. it took paul well, Paul was stranded in one port for the whole winter because of a storm, right? And, uh, you know, fast forward uh, until 1959, nobody had experienced jet lag before because that's when the first, at least the general population, the first commercial jetliner was introduced to the world. And from that moment on, you could travel anywhere on earth in about 24 to 48 hours. And that really made the whole world like a global village. Someone described the world as a global village where we could, you know, the whole planet is our own backyard and we can go anywhere. And really, in terms of missions, we're living in a day and age that is like no other, where we can literally go anywhere on earth. And the the remaining barriers to the gospel are not the geopolitical barriers uh they're those ethno-linguistic barriers and (coughs) excuse me only a few nations now uh, 
people groups now that don't have a, a witness. Uh, so we're really uh, seeing seeing the the gospel go to the very ends of the earth in in this in the last twenty to thirty years. It really is remarkable. Yeah, it's incredible. Whew, it's an adventurous life, man. It's awesome. Uh, yeah. I, lo I love how, you know, when, when you decide to follow Jesus and you listen to his way and you follow his plan for your life, the just the adventure that he takes you on and how it's so much better than anything that you could have fathomed on your own as far as, you know, what you'd be doing. You spent you spent all this time, you know, in Australia and South America. And then you end up in Colorado <laughs> of all places. Had you, had you really, and I know you were in California for a season before you went to Colorado, uh, but um, had you really experienced the, the cold and the snow on that level before? No, 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 no. First time I, I saw snow was when I came to the United States. Okay. Uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's exciting uh, at the beginning. At the and beginning, then, yeah. And until it's not anymore, uh, when yeah, you like have to shovel seven, it every day. Day seven, like done already. Like, yes. all right, we could stop forever now. <laughs> but I keep reminding the Lord, this was your idea to bring me here to Denver, Lord. Because uh, I'm both my wife, my wife's from San Diego. You know, I'm from Sydney. We're beach people. And God yeah. brought us here to the middle of America where there's no beach. Now, the mountains are, are nice. They're, it's a nice trade-off. Mm -hmm. But uh, we always go on vacation to the beach whenever we can. Uh, but the, uh, uh, you know, Colorado, the interesting thing about Denver is a lot of people don't know this, especially people from Michigan and places like that think that Denver is the same as, you know, Grand Rapids or Minneapolis or, and it's totally mm. different because it's a mm. semi-arid climate. And I, yeah. I play golf. I play golf in January. And I played golf last week. Now we've got a milder winter, but uh, you know the snow melts off here, which everything's pretty ugly because it's all brown. But yeah, it's really sunny. I, I guess at least the Colorado Tourism Board says there's 300 days of sun a year in Denver. Uh, so we'll get some big storms, well, but then the snow above melts the clouds, off, right? <laughs> yeah, well, it's a mile just, above, yeah, just a mile about. above sea level. <laughs> Yeah, but we yeah, did. One time we had crazy. three feet of snow when I was mm. here. Uh, that's the most we've ever had. And that was that lasted a while. Yeah. Yeah. Have you embraced any of the winter activities like like do you do skiing, snowboarding, any kind of anything like that? Well, Duke, I used to. Uh, but now uh, I trying to be wise. And so, <laughs> yeah, I got friends my age who who still do that but it, it's pretty expensive uh you know to to be doing yeah. that so mm -hmm. and with my travel uh no i haven't done it recently uh, i still golf and uh, i enjoy that for sure that's good i i don't know if you if you know where i'm at i'm in alabama and i'm originally from new jersey and uh you know spent most of my time in new jersey and new york um i did i was a missionary in mexico for about three years Oh, but really? uh, so, yeah. So after Elam, I went back to New Jersey for a year and then I was in Mexico with my wife um, for three years as missionaries. And then we ended up here in Alabama and we've been here ever since. 
And uh, so I really miss like like I'm on the other spectrum. Like I really miss the snow. I've always loved snow um, and I was really into snowboarding and stuff like that. And so I, I miss it. But when I when I but it's uh, yeah. So when I get the opportunity, so I'm kind of like opposite. Um, I'm more into I always enjoyed like those beach vacations and did that for most of my life. But now when when we do get the opportunity to to go somewhere, I'm always like mountains, like somewhere, <laughs> somewhere with mountains, somewhere where there's snow or something, you know. Now, where did you where were you in Mexico? Uh, a city called Morelia, um, Morelia, which is in the state of Michoacan. Yeah. You know, as you were saying before, uh, and it's kind of in this kind of in the middle of the country, about four hours from Mexico City. Um, the state of Michoacan is a coastal state. It's on the um, it's on the west. <laughs> it's, on, it's on the western side of Mexico. And there are, you know, if you go all the way west, to the, you'll hit the coast and there's beautiful beaches there and stuff like that. But we were about four hours inland, um, you know, right. in, in that state. So but yeah, wow. it's, it's interesting what you were saying about, you know, how when I was there in Mexico, people were were always worried about me thinking, you know, because they hear the news about Mexico and the violence and the drug cartels and all of this kind of stuff. And there were happenings, you know, for sure there were happenings in the city we were in. Um, there were definitely happenings. Things went down. Um, but uh, but I never felt it, if, if that makes sense. Like there's just something yeah. about, you know, where I live, I could I could drive, you know, 20 minutes and be in a pretty pretty difficult part of town you know where there's a lot of violence yeah. and things like that happening too so i just think it's you know perspective of of uh, what you hear and as you said i do think that the media really tries to portray things in the harshest way <laughs> possible a lot of times well yeah. they report everything as well so you have a, re a reporting of the worst possible things that are happening uh in seven and a half billion people around the world right and you're sitting in your living room or on your computer and you know and you're going oh man the earth is going to the world is going to hell in a handbasket but in reality they're just taking the worst possible snippets and you're right it's not you just have to be wise if you live in chicago sure. you, you have to be wise where you go what you do but you know it's uh Really, it's it's not as violent as it was in the Middle Ages or other times in history. Uh, yeah, that's, that's not to minimize it, but that's yeah. Sure. And yeah. so, do you speak a little Spanish? Hablas español todavía un poquito? Sí, hablo hablo bien. Bueno, más o menos hablo bien. Um, de hecho, hacemos <laughs> we do a service on Sunday mornings um, in Spanish. My wife and I. Oh, um, we, have, we have an English service and a Spanish service, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so. Yeah, so I still use it a now, lot. Now, where are you in Alabama? Where, where are you? In Mobile, Alabama, as deep Mobile. south as you can get in, in unless until you go to Florida. Uh, yeah, we're uh, yeah we're down here practically on the Gulf. So yeah, it's hot and well, humid and rains always. Okay, yeah, my my but I, um, but I love it. I love my city. My uh, my one of our daughters husband her parents live in huntsville alabama and okay which is at the top about yeah. four or five hours north of you mm -hmm. yeah uh, probably but, five yeah so are you uh are you a you're gonna be uh barracking we call it australia or rooting for 
for the Crimson Tide this uh, Friday or or you your yeah. Auburn fan? No, I mean, okay, so here's the thing. I'm not from here. So um I don't know. I'm not uh I, I like Alabama. I follow them, but I'm also, I kind of follow Auburn a little bit too. I know I'm not allowed to do that. Um, you know, I know it's not like the normal thing, but it's, uh, yeah. So I'm just kind of, but yeah, no, I will, I will watch and root for them and stuff like that. But like, it's weird because I'm from New Jersey. I'm like, uh, I grew up watching Penn State. Transplant. And right. I, <laughs> yeah, I grew up like watching Penn State and for some reason, Notre Dame. Uh, I like them. And uh, but I'm not as into it as I mean, down here, college football is life for people. Yes. You know, I was always more into I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm into like NFL football, but I'm also like a like really into baseball and, uh, you know, like soccer and people. Or football, excuse me, sir football yes no we call it soccer in <laughs> australia real, real, oh you do i did not know that yeah yeah because because australia is similar to the u.s in that we've got a whole bunch of sports that we play that are different uh i mean some of them are we've inherited from britain like cricket mm, cricket yeah uh and rugby uh, there's two kinds of rugby but the main sport in australia is called aussie rules football have you ever seen australian rules football that's uh, it's a it's a oval that's 200 meters so it's two football fields length and wider and 18 players aside and uh, and it's full tackle and you pass it like a volleyball and you have to bounce this oval ball uh, it's the craziest thing you've ever seen but that's the number one sport in australia so as a result we we call it soccer um, okay but okay. yeah but anyway being in argentina and paraguay i grew up playing soccer uh, football down there mm -hmm. as well but when i came to america this is the most, most amazing thing i loved gridiron football the very first time mm -hmm. i saw it it's awesome uh which i've i've come to realize most non-americans don't that get it doesn't happen <laughs> no but, but for me probably because i love strategy uh it became this it was like man this is like a game of chess but with violence added in because <laughs> it's all about yeah. strategy you can you can win you can win a game with better coaching uh in in gridiron with as mm -hmm. very few other games that the coaching matters as much on the on the day right. of the game you know True. so mm -hmm. anyway so but i'm i'm a clemson fan actually when it comes really? to 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 college football because one of my best friends is uh, is from that area, mm -hmm. and we vacation in Seneca, which is right across the okay. cool. the lake there from Clemson every summer. And we go then in the winter we'll go to a game usually. So yeah, and then then I have to be a awesome. Broncos fan, unfortunately. Yeah, right I was going to ask what I figured. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> well, listen, man, it's not it's not worse than I'm a Giants fan. I'm a New York Giants fan, so it's just <laughs> oh, yeah, it's just that's... bad. It's just, it's just, it's a dumpster fire. It's bad. Yeah. So I can't say anything. Well, well, anyway, <laughs> America is a very amazing nation. Uh, God has invested so much in this nation. And when you look at the history, uh, 
America is a leader in the world. And I think there's a, there's a target that uh, this nation, there's, there's a battle going on behind the battle. The, the reality most people see is not the ultimate reality. There is a, a battle right. for the soul of America right now. Uh, and when you travel, or if you're from overseas, you realize that there is a, uh, this nation is a leader. Other nations look to America as a leader. And when a leader falls, whether it's a spiritual leader that we talked about earlier, or any kind of leader, there's a ripple effect that impacts many other people. Wow. And so there is a, a spiritual battle going on for this nation because of the heritage of the number of Christians, even from the beginning of this nation, the separatists and the pilgrims and people that came over for religious freedom. It, it is remarkable when you, you look at other nations, what God has invested in America. And we need to be praying for this nation. Uh, right now because they're really it is hanging in the balance and could go either way mm, wow yeah you know it it bothers me when um when a stance or perception is taking that's like fatalistic like oh well america's screwed america's going to hell in a hand but you know that kind of thing and it's like, yeah. well, you know, there's we're we're going down a path and there are certain things where you can kind of see the writing on the wall. But I, I just don't believe uh, I'm with you. Like, I, I don't believe that our response should be that of there's no hope, you know, that that our, our response needs to be to pray. Our response shouldn't be one of the things that just a major pet peeve of mine is um, just the, the blatant like disrespect that i see hurled toward our political leaders and you know governing officials um you know it's one thing to as you said speak the truth in love <laughs> but it's another yeah. thing to just be blatantly disrespectful to the authority of the position and yeah. you know that's something that drives me crazy among christians because i'm like okay like i get that you're in you're in starch disagreement with what's happening here with like whether it's a law that's passed or just an overall ideology or you know policy whatever it is yes. like i get it and more often than not i'm with you but i think that we lose the battle when we don't fight the right way and as you said yes. like we're called to pray you know we're called to pray we're called to declare and stand in agreement with the heart of God to see how he would lead us, how he would guide us to, you know, how to intercede, you know, but like yes. so often I think we're so quick to, to judge and condemn and to tear down when we haven't even taken a moment to step back and see, okay, God, what's on your heart in the midst of this situation and what's going on here. And how can I partner with you to actually see your kingdom established here on the earth where we live? Yes. You know, Oh, I'm with you a hundred percent. And, uh, it does not have to be a certain way. You know, that whole kissera uh, the inshallah, the fatalistic mentality. Yes. You know, all the other religions of the world are fatalistic. All of them. Islam wow. more than any other, but, mm -hmm. but Buddhism, Hinduism, they're all fatalistic and people are trying to make Christianity into a fatal, a fatalistic, uh, mindset that we, that we would have. And I, I'm with you a hundred percent. I know there are some who mm -hmm. would disagree,
but I believe prayer does change things. I believe uh, God gives us the opportunity to to create history, to uh, to to change the direction of history through Come our on. choices, through our actions, through our through our prayers. Uh, so yeah, I believe with all my heart that that God calls us to create with Him. You know, Genesis one one says, "In the beginning, God created." So was that the last time? Or is he still creating? And if he's still creating, if God's still creating, does he give us a place to co-create with him? Mm. And I, I think oh, he yeah. does. I think he's the living God and he gives us an opportunity to right now, not against his will, but going, okay, God, what is your will? And then beginning to act and pray in accordance with his will. So I have, uh, we had a, a situation that happened here years ago uh, where a, a former student came in and shot four of our staff, uh, two of them died that night. And it, mm -hmm. it led me to write a book about this uh, called When the Shooting Stopped. Uh, where's God when we suffer? Why does God allow suffering in the world? And one of the things, Duke, that just impacted me powerfully is uh, I, I was studying what is God's will uh, was this something that God orchestrated? Because there were people who had that fatalistic bias who were saying, well, you know, God's in control of this. He allowed this to happen. He, and, right. and I, I felt like, no, th this didn't have to happen this way. Uh, people have choices. And, but what is God's will? And I found there's actually two, two different words for God's will uh, in the New Testament. One is bulamai and the other is thelema. And bulamai is what God has ordained, uh, something that God has willed. But thelema is is actually it's translated God's will, but it's God's wish. It's it's related mm -hmm. to God's preferred will. So when the Bible says, uh, "In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God," it's His wish. It's His thelema, but it doesn't always happen. Not everybody gives sure. thanks. So there's some things that happen that go against God's will and man that was just impacted me so much is we need to pray according to god's will in the lord's prayer when jesus said pray that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven it's thelema it's that his wow. his preferred will would happen and so he gives us a place not only through our actions but in our prayers to agree with god and to pray his will into existence in every situation. And wow, what, what an incredible ability we have to co-create with the living God that he wow. partners with us in this way. So yeah, I'm with you 100%. Things don't have to be a certain way. God gives us the ability to, to, to change the direction of history. Come on. And yeah. so, yeah, revival can happen. This does not have to go badly in the coming years and decades if the lord tarries well yeah yeah i'm i'm, I'm so with you and yeah you know, i i say i say this sometimes just because it, it kind of ruffles feathers and then i explain what i mean because you know there's this thing that a lot of people say well you know god is in control and it's just something that people kind of throw around i'm like well god's not necessarily in control of every <laughs> of everything you know he could be yeah he's definitely he's he definitely be. in charge um, yeah, he definitely could be. He can do whatever he wants. He's sovereign. Um, yes. But 
he's also put so much into the hands of his people to partner with him, as you said, to have this this privilege of of walking in the authority that he's given to us to partner with his heart, to see history changed, to see transformation happen here on the earth, to see his kingdom established here on the earth in incredible ways. And it's like, yeah, again, that, that sort of fatalistic idea of, well, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. Well, not if the church doesn't stand up and actually see what God is saying in this season, in this hour, and partner with him to actually move with his heart, you know? And to, yes. and to and to do what what he wants to do to be led to be directed by the Holy Spirit and it's just like I, God does very little <laughs> on the earth outside of agreement with his people if anything I don't I don't I don't yes. want to just say zero because you know God's bigger than my thinking but it's uh you know I think he does very very little outside of of that agreement on the earth with his people and and what a, it's what a privilege amazing that is what, what, what an adventure and a privilege that he gets to that we get to partner with the living mm. god in this to say god what 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 is it that you want to do in this situation yeah. and then then move in accordance with him uh you know i think that's the way mm. jesus operated clearly he is god and was god but he did nothing of his own accord only right. what he saw the father doing and so father what is it that you want to do in this situation in my family or at work or at school or right now in this nation? What, 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 what is your dream? Lord, I want to move in faith in accordance with this and not only aim for this, and, but to pray this into existence and to believe you for it. And man, I, I believe, I believe Duke that, that, uh, God has another card to deal in the history of America. Wow. And uh, it's, it's not set and done, uh, you know, the way it is right now. But uh, I'm just praying that, uh, that, uh, that God would bring about his purposes and salvage many of the things that have been lost. So good. Yeah. Well, Peter, man, I, I really appreciate you. I thank you so much for for your time and being here with me. I've uh, I've really enjoyed kind of picking your brain a little bit and and just hearing your story and you know having this conversation that we had. And uh, I really do, and I I did plan on. Um, I wanted to ask you about about your book, which you brought up uh, just a minute ago, but. Um, I don't want us to, I, I don't know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to rush that conversation because there's some things that I know that we can get into dealing with um, forgiveness and um, some different, uh, just, just beautiful things that, that, that I think did come out of that, that tragedy that took place um, back in 2007 on the campus there yeah. at, at, uh, at YWAM in Denver. So I'm just wondering, um, would if uh, maybe maybe what we should do is um, kind of wrap up this conversation, and I would love to have you back on at some point in the future. Not to you know put you under pressure or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. But I'd love to have you back on at some point in the future so that we could kind of get um, you know maybe devote the whole thing to that conversation because it's something that I'm that I'm uh, you know very much just interested in hearing your heart on and. Uh, and telling people, uh, but I do want to point people though uh, to your book. I know that it's available on Amazon. It's also available on your website. The book is called "When the Shooting Stopped," and uh, the subtitle is "Where Is God When We Suffer." 
And um, yeah. if you would, if you would, Peter, just give a uh, just kind of in your own words, a plug for the book and um, and what it's about and your, your heart when you wrote it. Yeah. So the best way to get it is actually through my website, because uh, mm -hmm. the audio can can be purchased through Amazon. But something happened where uh, they shut things down for selling my book, which is the craziest thing. OK, uh, but uh, Peter Warren Ministries dot com is the best way to get awesome. it. But basically in a nutshell uh i felt i was to tell the story because there's so many redemptive parts to this even though two of our staff was shot and killed four were shot two died uh, out of it came this amazing sort of a seed that fell into the ground and died but yielded much fruit we saw thousands mm. of people thousands come to christ which i bring out in the book and and recommit their lives to christ uh, as a result of it, but I started to write the story and then you know how it is with the Lord Sometimes he taps you on the shoulder and says actually I have a slightly different plan Than you do and I felt like the Lord wanted me to look at all the different types of suffering in the world and where's God? Uh, why why doesn't he intervene sometimes? Why is there judgment on sin? What why does God why are there accidents? Why do people get cancer? You know, things like that. And yeah, looking yeah. at looking at the whole thing through the lens of Scripture. So it's very biblically based. I narrowed it down to 10 sources of suffering and that, that occur in the world. And what do the Scriptures have to say about this? And I even go into, uh, you know, why did God say go and destroy whole villages, including men, women, children, mm. animals? Why would God, a loving God say that? And actually there are answers wow. in god's word and i go into this in detail so i've got a bibliography of over 100 books i did a hmm. lot of research it took me about two years uh to write because wow. of it being such a a broad topic that i had to narrow down and uh it's it's it will take time to read because you have to go have your Bible right there and go, wait a minute, what is this? And then going back into some of the original Hebrew and Greek and seeing, like I mentioned about God's will, that not everything is God's will, because sometimes what's translated God's will is actually God's wish, but it doesn't happen. Mm. Uh, so, wow. um, yeah, things like that that are very, uh, that answer a lot of questions of where is God when we suffer. So that's, that's what it's, about uh and uh yeah i'd love to come on again to answer your question there duke uh and just share the whole story and some of these some of the things it's kind, that it's kind of like chapter. me pointing a, it's kind of like me pointing a gun to your head and asking like hey do you want to come back on my podcast you know we're, we're, we're on <laughs> yeah. my podcast right now so uh, i apologize for that i don't like doing that to people but sometimes it just happens um i'm but, fine uh, I'm you can give me your real answer off air after after people aren't listening. <laughs> no, no, no. That's my real answer. I'd be happy to happy to do it. Yeah, no, I I appreciate it. Thank you. No, but but I do want to say thank you. Thank you for writing that book. Um, the, what you're talking about there, dealing with where is God in the midst of suffering, and it, it that's a topic that every single man, woman, and child on this planet can relate to yep. in one way or another probably that every every person um, has asked at one point or another in one form or another you know why yes. do bad things happen to good people you know it's like probably the most one of the most common questions in in existence and 
um, I, I appreciate that journey that you went on and your obedience to the Holy Spirit to write it, to write it his way and to take all that time to research and to really get into the, the, the background and the, the, the history, I guess, the meaning behind those words in scripture. And, uh, that's just such, it's, it's such an important thing. It's such an important conversation. And yeah, I really look forward to kind of diving into that with you in a little bit more detail. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I appreciate you, Peter. Thank you so much. Um, again, I want to encourage everybody to check out the website, peterwarrenministries.com. And uh, there you can find the book and find some other resources. I know there's some videos and a, and a blog and some other stuff on that website as well. Right, Peter? Yeah, not a whole lot, but um, there, yeah, there is some. And... <laughs> yes. Keep them guessing. We'll keep them guessing. No, but check it out. Check it out because I know, I know that it will bless you. Um, if this conversation blessed anybody out there and added some value to your day, if you'd consider subscribing, sharing, or leaving a review, I'd really appreciate that. But before you do any of that, Again, I do want to encourage you, check out PeterWarrenMinistries.com. Um, take a look at that book, and uh, it, I, I, I know that it's going to um, be impactful for your life. And, you know, maybe it seems to me like that would be a perfect uh, gift for somebody or a perfect book to share with somebody that you know that's going through tragedy or that has gone through tragedy, and maybe they're asking those questions. So I just really want to encourage, um, encourage you guys to, uh, to, to do that. Um, yeah. Well, uh, Peter, any uh, any just final thoughts? We, we talked a little bit. Uh, we we're kind of kind of ran the gamut a little bit, which tends to happen on this show, <laughs> you know, talking about your uh, your upbringing and, and stuff like that a little bit, talking about YWAM and the purpose for YWAM and raising up leaders, you know, to go around the world and to share the love of Jesus Christ. We talked a little bit about um, the partnership of God's people with the heart of God and and we also talked about the adventure with Jesus and just the willingness to step out in faith and to follow him, even when it doesn't make sense to us. So we talked about a lot of things, but just any final thoughts that you have as we kind of wrap up here? Yeah, I think um, Romans twelve twenty one says, uh, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome yes. evil with good. And wow. we're in a day and age when there's a lot of, animosity and contention and provocative language and Jesus way is not to come in the same spirit uh, you know yeah to turn the other cheek go the extra mile a soft answer Solomon said a soft answer turns away wrath and there's there's a, a place to come in the opposite spirit that is God's way of fighting it doesn't mean you let people walk all over you and and it doesn't mean you compromise or you don't speak the truth but in spirit and attitude uh, to come to respond in that spirit of jesus i i just take it a, a minute longer and, and kind of tell you yeah, this absolutely. quick story so i was i was leading this ym outreach um actually in mexico we're in monterey mexico and we we're sleeping in sunday school rooms which is it becomes harder and harder each year, uh, mm. but uh, on, on hard floors. <laughs> uh, we had yeah. about 70, 70 of us there, so a, a large wow. group of young people. That's awesome. And there was one, one guy in the school. Uh, he was a married guy who had issues, okay? There's always one, at least, who had some just some bigger issues. And, and we had this 
worship time and I, I told everybody, listen, let's just go out and spend some time alone with the Lord. And then uh, I came to find out uh, he and a group of others were meeting when we'd sent them out to spend time alone with the Lord. And I, I went to the, the room, knocked on the door and the door opened and I said, you guys were supposed to spend time alone with the Lord. And he just blew up at me. I mean, he just started mm. yelling at me and, you know, the veins were sticking out on the edge of his neck. He was a big bodybuilder kind of guy, you know, and I'm not, a, uh -huh. I'm not a big guy. And, uh, and, and I just, God gave me the ability to see him as a, as a little boy rejected by his own father. Wow. And just in that moment, it was like a word of knowledge, a kind of a pictorial word of knowledge where I just saw this hurting kid and I was the authority in his life at that point. Wow. And, and the Holy Spirit just came over me and I walked over to him. I, I would not have done this in the natural. Okay. But this was God trying to teach me this principle. I walked over and put my arms around him and he just broke down and started weeping and weeping. And, mm. and he went from anger to, to breaking because I didn't respond in the same spirit, but I came in that opposite spirit of love. And I, I just think if there's anything we need right now, especially in the world and, and in, in our nation, there's, there's such a spirit that has to, cannot be overcome in the same spirit. You don't, you can't win an argument. I mean, you might be able to win an argument, but you're not going to win someone's soul. The way to, to, to come is in, in the spirit of Jesus in that opposite spirit of love. And that is the way to win it. That breaks it. And so I'd encourage everybody who's watching this or listening, uh, in your situation, whoever it is that is stirring you up the wrong way, just, just pour out love upon them in, in word and deed, because that's, that's the way to win the battle spiritually. And it's such a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful thing when, when we have that opportunity. And I think that we so often miss out on those opportunities to really act the way that Jesus acted, to, to think like he thinks and to, to treat people the way that, that he taught people here on the earth where he stepped outside of what was like, quote unquote, acceptable for him to do as a man of God. And to come alongside people and to honor people that, you know, we're not considered to be honorable or we're not considered to be worthy of yes. honor. You know, and if all I ever do is honor and serve and show love to the people in my life that I get along with, then I'm not really doing anything because that's easy. I don't even have to, you know, if, if I just if I just honor somebody because there's somebody that I like. You know, how much am I actually honoring them and how much am I just honoring myself because I see myself in them? <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just uh, it's that. But I think we really get a chance to to demonstrate who God is and to realize who we are when we step, you know, into a situation like that. And as you said, I love I love the way you say that to move in the opposite spirit. Evil is not overcome by more evil. Evil is overcome by good. The enemy yes. is overwhelmed when you refuse to respond that way. One of my favorite verses. He doesn't verses know what to do um, about it. <laughs> yeah, right? It's crazy. I love uh, Ephesians chapter, uh, excuse me, Philippians 1. I believe it's verse 28. And Paul says, um, not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them uh, proof of perdition, 
but to you of salvation and that from God. It's proof to the enemy of his own perdition or his own judgment when you refuse to respond in fear to his attacks against you. And so yes. often these things that we do in anger, in frustration, the backbiting, like fear is at the root of so many of these things um, that we do. And when you just refuse as a child of God, when you remember who God is and who you are in him and that you don't have to just respond the way that everyone else is responding or the way that you've typically responded in the past. But you can pause for a second and remember who you are. Remember the authority that you carry and say, no, I'm not going to respond in evilness. I'm not going to respond with that harsh answer. I'm not going to respond in fear. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stand for what's right, and I'm going to overcome evil with good. And as you said, yeah. it it confuses the enemy. It terrifies him. And you don't have to fight him because he flees from you. When you focus yes. on God in the midst of whatever it is that that, that attack is, he flees. God, like, it, I, I don't know. I think God just runs him off, you know? You don't have to do yes. it on your own. Yes, so, it's powerful. And, uh, yeah, and it's more in the spirit and the attitude. doesn't mean we yes. agree with That's what right. they're saying or, or doing, but in our spirit, it just disarms the enemy, the spirit behind it. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, hey, great uh, spending this time with you, Duke. I look forward to maybe meeting you in person at some point, uh, Lord willing. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, just let me know when we can when we can do this again. This sort of what we're just talking about. Uh, lines up with the way we responded to the shooting actually the lord showed mm. us uh to respond with forgiveness which is not a, a i think a, a number of people do that who've who've had violence against them they've responded with forgiveness wow. but some people were questioning and and i won't give the answer to what i'm sharing i'll leave it for that the next time um but people were going but you can't you, you Christians are always saying forgive, but where's the place of justice? Uh, wow. If you're always forgiving, then people will take advantage of you. And and justice and forgiveness are not mutually exclusive. It's possible to do what is just and to forgive as well, because one is a one is a a, a a a role of authority. If you have the authority, you have to move with justice. But the others are personal personally we always have to forgive and i i can kind of unpack that a little bit more um if you'd like next time oh man please i can't wait <laughs> i can't wait no again i think that that's such a powerful conversation because of the fact that it's not just a conversation about forgiveness it's a conversation about forgiveness that that comes out of something that was so tragic and painful but that you all as a community got together and said, no, this is how we're going to respond. We're not going to respond to evil yes. with more evil because ultimately that's not going to, that's not going to change anything. That's not going to help us be more free. It's not going to help us walk in healing. Um, and it's just not the way that, that God um, would respond to this situation, but we're going to overcome evil with good. And um, yes. yeah, that's such a good word. So I appreciate that. Um, okay. Well, yeah, well, we'll set it up. We'll let everybody know when it's happening. I, uh, I look, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Peter, I really did enjoy meeting you. It's a pleasure to know you. And, uh, thanks again so much for being on the show. Bless you, Duke. Bye everybody. See you next time.